Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, we're in the fourth part of our series where we're looking at this idea of living contrary to popular opinion. And our lead idea, if you got your bulletin, you got your Bible app open, we've led with this idea is that as culture moves further away from life in Jesus, we must learn to live contrary to popular opinion. This goes against our nature. You know, we want to be able to kind of not overly stick out. We, we want to be unique without being weird. We want to, you know, to, to be able to, to kind of be able to function in our society well. And then this idea of living contrary to popular opinion, we usually kind of have one or two ideas in our mind that we're either going to say, nope, I'm, I'm not going to let the, the world or culture or any of that, this have any influence on me, and all of a sudden I become very antagonistic to the world, or you swing the other direction and say, no, I'm just going to kind of go with the flow, and we honestly embrace a mentality that somehow that to love the way Christ has called us to love uh, somehow means um, not holding to the truth that Christ has presented us and taught us. And that's just not true. Uh, leading us into life, which is, means leading us away from death and destruction. There are, there are decisions, there are choices that are hurtful. And so, but people don't make them just because they say, hey, I want to do something hurtful. There's a reason, there's motives, there's desires, there's different things at work. And we've got to learn to let the Holy Spirit help us to, to live in a new and life-giving way. And so, but in a lot of times to, for us to try to function with popular opinion at work, we can try to kind of just kind of squish everything down and just kind of say, no, Jesus, somehow we know what it looks like in this society. We're going to have to silence this part of the scriptures. We're going to have to push this part to the side. And that's not love. Love holds on to the truth and holds on to the value of people simultaneously. And so as Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, now remember in Rome, this was the seat of power in the world at the time, okay? This was the seat of empire. This was the seat of all military might. This was the seat of all economic might and all of the stuff that went on in there very hostile to the gospel. And Paul is writing to those believers and he said, tells them this. In Romans 12, 2, he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Kind of gives us, there's two options here. We're either gonna conform, we're gonna kind of go with the flow and conform, or we're gonna be transformed. And that's through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we need to be mindful that those that flow is at work in our life and it's just there. It's just there, those currents, those opinions, those things are there and they will begin to influence us and if they don't watch it, they begin to get on the inside of us and shape the way we think, the way we make decisions, the, what we value, how we see ourselves. And the truth is it's just constant. And just a couple of weeks ago, um, we had a little moment happen with our youngest uh, child, um, Preslin. 
call her Pressy. She's eight years old in the third grade. Um, our oldest is 27. So we've got seven inside that 27 to eight years old. And I saw our eight-year-old, who she's a tiny little petite thing. Uh, she was doing one of the wonderful things of being a third grader, having recess. You know, I think we just need to bring that back into the workforce. You know, I think if we just had breaks where we went and got on the swings, you know, and went down a slide and, you know, and just kind of got some fresh air, um, did that for about 10 minutes a couple of times during the workday, I think it may transform America, you know, if we got a little recess time. And so, but third graders still get it. And so they were out there during the recess time and getting to uh, have some fun. One of Pressy's good little friends, um, they had one of the little, you know, swings that's up off the ground that you hold. And so, and then they would swing back and forth. Well, you know, after a little bit, you know, you got, that gets boring and you got to take it to the next level, you know? And so then they were not just swinging on it, but then they would take turns. So there would be a, one swinging on the swing and one swinging on their friend that was swinging on the swing. So they just wrap themselves around the one holding on and then, you know, work up your grip strength there and, be, and just swing as long as you could. So on this particular day, Pressy goes first. She's holding on to the swing. Her little friend holds on to her. They swing a few times as, and then, you know, Pressy's strength gives and they drop to the ground and then it's the, the, it's the other friend's turn. So she does it and Pressy grabs a hold of her friend and is swinging and that's a lot of weight. I don't care who you are. You have somebody who's your peer, they're hanging on you while you're hanging on. It's a lot of weight. And so she swings a couple of times and drops, let's go. And so the little girl, not being overly malicious, just responds to, you know, that that was a struggle and looks at Pressy and says, man, you're heavy, you're fat. And which is not remotely even potentially the truth at all. And so, well, it's, it's uh, after school and they're, they're straightening up in my bedroom and, and um, Pressy comes in and is having a conversation and she said, hey, you know, dad, this, I was out on the playground and she, t she tells me the story. And um, I could sense that it was not just articulating a little anecdote of the day that there was something that was heavy on her. And so as she begins to, to tell me that, I, I just told her, I said, you know, Pressy, I said, you know that's not the truth. You know, that you know that's not the truth. It's, it's a medical fact um, that you are not fat. I was like, you, that is, it is not the truth. I said, you can't let that get into your heart. And her eyes just fill up with tears and she says, daddy, it's already in my heart. And so, and we just immediately just began. I was like, okay, well, let me, let, let's pray. And so we immediately, I just laid hands on her. I just began to pray over her. And as I began to pray, she just started sobbing. I mean, she's just shaking, a little eight-year-old girl. And, and so we just prayed over it and it prayed forgiveness for the little friend. Just like, okay, well, we're just gonna let this go. And so, and man, it just the relief just came over her. But the truth is, is that that, that kind of stuff is constant. There, there are people throwing their opinions and, and throwing them like they're facts. Stating it like it's fact. You're heavy, you're fat, you're this, you're that, whatever. And culture is stating things. Not I perceive, not it feels. No, here's the fact. And it's, even if it's just not even true, 
just the way it can be presented and, and brought into our lives, that all of a sudden it can begin to shape us and we begin to inform the way we make decisions. Folks, you and I cannot allow that stuff to begin to come in. And the truth is, the truth is, is as I have even been sharing that little story, there's some of you that the Holy Spirit has brought to attention, brought to attention some moments of your childhood. Maybe it had nothing to do with weight, maybe it had nothing to do with body image, but there was something that was said to you as a child that you look back and it got down deep into your heart and you've been fighting it all of your known life. You've been trying to prove it false. You've been trying to avoid it. You've been trying to do all these different things. And I'm telling you, we're not really gonna be able to move forward unless we let the Holy Spirit touch that spot and say, no, this is the, here's, here's the wound, here's where it's come in. It's not true to call the lie out as a lie, but put the truth in its place. We have to have the truth come alive in its place. Otherwise, we still end up with this void that this punch, this, this, this sucker punch left this divot in our lives. And it'll continue to get filled up with other little junk unless we let the truth of who we are and who Christ is begin to come in and fill that space. And if that's you, we will have prayer partners at the end of this. If, if something came to your attention and just me touching on that, don't sweep it under the rug. Don't avoid it. Address it in prayer. It can be addressed as easily as we did it right there in that moment with Presley. And guess what? It's been a couple of weeks. She's, she's not brought it up. Um, she's not said anything. And in fact, somebody kind of mentioned that a story was told on her. She'd forgotten the story. I was like, you know, the thing on the playground with you and your friend on the swing. She's like, what? I'm like, when she said you was F-A-T, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, not doing it. She's like, you told that story. I was like, yes, I did. And so, but she, she'd forgotten about it. It wasn't like all of a sudden, and then she just like moves on. She's okay. And so, and there's that space where we can be set free from that. We can genuinely be set free from it, but culture and just the flow, it's the work of the enemy. It's the work of the enemy. He uses people's mouths. He uses different things, but it's the work of the enemy to come and get us off track and he'll speak into all of these different spaces. And as we look at the scriptures in Galatians chapter five, verse six, by the time we get to Galatians in the scriptures, there's a lot of scripture we've read. There's a lot of things that have been covered. And Paul lets us know in Galatians chapter five, verse six says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's it. It's faith, trusting God, believing him, connecting with him by faith and letting that express itself through love. When it's all said and done, that's what this life in Christ is about, is believing in him and letting what he's done in us begin to touch other people's lives through love. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He says, a new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you. Now, the, uh, under, the command everybody understood was love one another as you love yourself. Here's the problem. Most of us don't really like ourselves. Most of us, let alone actually love ourselves. We begin to compare and to pick apart and see things in other people's lives that we feel like are better and which should be and all these different things. And then we reflect and we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm not that happy with who I am and who this space is. And so consequently, loving our neighbor as I love myself, it's not that tall of an order, if I just be honest. It's just all of a sudden, you know, I, I call myself an idiot when well, I can call you an idiot. 
you know? I point out my failures, I'll point out your failures. All of a sudden, but Jesus said, nope, we're shifting gears here. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus sets the standard of love. Jesus demonstrated, he showed it, he lived it, laid down his life for us, and he says, okay, this is how, this is what love looks like. And then he goes on to say, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not how much scripture we can quote, not how generous we are, all of those things matter, but it's how love is expressed in our lives. That's how people are gonna know we belong to him. And we, uh, this series, we're um, looking at the book of Daniel, and we're gonna get into Daniel in just a minute. But I'm gonna first jump into a space um, of familiarity on this area of love. If you've been in church for any length of time, if you've gone to a Christian wedding, this has probably been read, but 1 Corinthians 13. But as we look at 1 Corinthians 13, it gives us a primer, gives us a, a solid study on love. And there's some things it reveals, and some things it shows that if we try to live contrary to popular opinion and we don't have love at the center, it's pointless, folks. It's pointless. We have to be motivated in this by love. Here's the problem. Contrary opinions tick us off. Things going contrary to what we believe, it goes against us and it can make us mad. And then we begin to respond out of anger. Then all of a sudden, a lot of times that place, the scriptures say you can be angry and sin not, okay? Okay. So there's a place where there are things should rile us up a little bit, but we have to make sure we're responding out of love. And as believers, we can find ourselves running up against contrary things and then responding in a contrary way, and it's unhealthy. But, so we're gonna look at this, and when we see that without love, all I say is ineffective. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 tells us. In fact, it says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, even, even celestial heavenly language, but don't have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And we know this to be true because if you've had, if we've witnessed relationships, we've seen it. Two people that fell in love and spent some time together, hurt one another, and some repetitive hurt. And then the offended person is being talked to by the person that hurt them, their, their loved one. And they're trying to say all the right things. And all that hurt person hears is clang, 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 clang. All of a sudden, there's, there's all their promises, all their words, because it's not been backed up by love. Doesn't matter what was being said in that moment. Love has to be the basis. Truth is, is without love, all I know is insufficient. And we want to grow in our knowledge of Christ. It's one of our scriptural mandates and, and, it, and it helps us. But without love, without love, all we know, it's, it's insufficient. It's insignificant. Um, it says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... I'm nothing, I'm nothing. And then the place is, is even all that we believe. All that we believe is insufficient. We go on in verse two, it says, if I have faith that can move mountains, 
but do not have love, I am nothing. Paul is referencing one of Jesus' teachings that if you have faith like a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain and be moving it to the sea. So you took Jesus' teaching in as full as it possibly could be and you have that kind of faith and all of a sudden you can speak to a mountain and it gets thrown into the sea, it gets moved, but you don't have love. It's, it's insufficient. All I give, all I give, it's incomplete. Generosity is a core feature of a life transformed in Christ. It's a core feature. Our lives should be generous. There should be a large chunk of the financial resources that touches our hands as believers that goes out to help hurting and help the, help the gospel move forward. This space functions on your generosity. And I'm so thankful you are a generous people. But everything you see is, is the fruit of somebody's generosity. And we're so thankful for it. It's vital. It's vital. But without love, our giving is incomplete. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says, if I give all I possess to the poor, I gain nothing. And then all I accomplish, all I accomplish is inadequate you can't do enough that all of a sudden love isn't there and then it's 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 okay you've, you've accomplished so much but love now it's inconsequential no it says if i give over my body to hardship that i may boast and do not have love i gain nothing and sadly i, I don't i don't know um, i don't know the stories we just see the little stuff we see online and read online and i um, never had a conversation with tom brady um, but I think we may be witnessing this being played out in the NFL this year, that all of a sudden here's this guy who's stacked the accomplishments. I don't know that anybody could ever do what Tom Brady did in the football field. I don't care if you like him or not. His, what his accomplishments are remarkable in that arena. And he came back for another year, and I mean, he wants more accomplishments. But the scuttlebutt online and You've seen the stories that family life isn't good right now. There's a lack of love in the home. And I don't know that another Super Bowl is going to fix that. And I don't know carrying another Lombardi trophy home to an empty house is what it's going to feel like. You can stack the accomplishments and you don't have love. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The scriptures understand this truth, truth, but it also lets us know how love functions. And 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is patient and love is kind and it doesn't envy and it doesn't boast and it's not proud and it doesn't dishonor others. Wow, wow. We just throw that one into the work arena, just not dishonoring others. Just not talking about them behind their back. Just not doing that kind of stuff. It just that, would, just that aspect of love would just transform the workplace all by itself. It would be amazing. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does do some things, though. Love does not delight in evil, doesn't delight, but it does rejoice in the truth. It always protects 
always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I want you to just notice that there's always that love does. If you really think about it, these are some tough situations. Love always protects. Why do you need to protect? There's an attack. There's an attack. But love in that space protects. We don't want to be in attacks. But when attacks happen, love protects. Love always trusts. When do we have to trust? When things are a little iffy, when things feel a little awkward and shaky, we have to place our trust in something. Love always hopes. Why, does, why do we need hope? Well, when things are dark, when things are difficult, when it doesn't look like it's going to go in the direction we desperately want it to go, love clings on to hope. These are situations we don't want to find ourselves in, and every time we do, love is the thing that's going to carry us through. Love always perseveres. Nobody wants to need perseverance. Nobody this week is going, I hope I get to persevere this week. Nobody. That means it's something unpleasant, something you don't want to be doing, and you just grit your teeth and you just keep rolling forward, and love perseveres. In those situations where you desperately want to give up, love is the motivation to not give up. It transforms, it changes things. And when it's all said and done, because love does that in the face of adversity, love doesn't fail. In our desperate, ugliest times, love is what carries us through. So how do we love well? We're gonna see this in the life real quick of Daniel. Daniel chapter six, verse one. Here we are in Daniel, if you remember the earlier part of it, Daniel opens up with King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, um, who is, uh, comes in and, and takes over Israel, takes Daniel and his friends, their families, takes them captive, um, just wrecks their lives. And Daniel ends up in a place of service in this space. And Daniel, Daniel holds on to his faith in God and his integrity, and Daniel also serves well. He isn't transformed by the counterculture. He he does a really good job of influencing a contrary culture. And remember, we talked about that Daniel serves five kings under four kingdoms, and already here we're finding Daniel under a new king, and his name is King Darius. And it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. All of a sudden, Daniel gets another culture change. He's just got his feet under him, under the Babylonian way, and now Darius who's part of the, of the Mede culture. And all of a sudden, King Darius is carrying things in a totally another direction. And so, and he decides to appoint 120 satraps to rule the kingdom, which are like governors. And with three administrators over them, one of whom is Daniel. Daniel has so set himself apart in the previous administration Nebuchadnezzar gets taken over and that actually was Nebuchadnezzar's son gets taken over. And then all of a sudden, Darius is like, that dude was awesome for him. You're gonna come serve me now. And then Daniel is like, he's gonna serve. He's serving. He never, he never compromises, but he always lets love lead. And so, and then the satraps, they were accountable to, uh, to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now here's this, this weird thing is, here's this guy, Daniel, who has suffered tremendous loss. 
Every family he knows, everybody he grew up with has suffered tremendous loss through all of these foreign kings. Daniel is in a foreign land and he's personally suffered loss and now he's put in a position to make sure this king doesn't suffer loss. You want me to do something for you that you wouldn't do for me? That's where we're going to be over and over again. As the culture moves against us, we're going to have to be willing to do for people what the people of, our, of this culture would never do for us. What they would never do for us. And we're going to be called to step up and show love where they would never love us. They would never be kind to us. They would never connect with us. And we're going to be called to step into that place. And folks, it's just going to take the Spirit of God for us to be able to really do what we're called to do. And now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. Notice it wasn't his gifts. It wasn't his gifts. It wasn't his abilities. It was the the, the qualities any of us can cultivate. As we get into it, any of us can do this, okay? His exceptional qualities that the, that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. All of a sudden, he made sure there was no loss to the point that now instead of being over one-third of the kingdom, he's now going to be put over, the, over all of it. Well, guess what happens? These other people who used to answer just to the king are now going to have to answer to Daniel, and they don't like it. They didn't get demoted. They just got a new boss. And they got mad. Folks, sometimes the favor on your life is, is going to make people fight. The favor on your life will bring out the fight in some people. And you're going to have to walk in love to not end up in a scrap. Okay? You're going to have to. And so and all of a sudden, here comes the fight because of the favor. Um, and at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charge against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could, not, they could find no corruption in him. This is one of the great miracles of the Bible, that there was a guy in the government who wasn't corrupt. <laughs> Lord, please bring that again. And so they couldn't, they could, there was no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Folks, I'm telling you, we are entering into the next decade. I know it's heartbreaking that culture is moving away from, from, the, from life in Jesus, but I'm telling you, telling you, the principles of what this looks like, they still want it. They still want it. Guess what? Your boss, your employer... They want someone who is not corrupt or negligent to be in charge. If you're a contractor, they want to hire somebody who's not corrupt or negligent. If you own your own business. If all of a sudden, if you're the, if you're the boss, you want to promote people who aren't corrupt or negligent. And there is a space over the next 10 years where us as believers, if we will just be the, just the base level of what God has called us to be, we don't have to be the radical, crazy, Jesus freak on the corner. No, we just be who we're called to be, not be, be trustworthy, not corrupt or negligent. I'm telling you, you don't have to be the most educated. You'll get promoted above the educated. Why? Because the, a bunch of people with degrees are corrupt and negligent. A bunch of people with, this, with the stuff that qualifies them are corrupt. And all of a sudden, you'll begin to promote from within. 
all of a sudden we'll find ourselves, if we'll just do what we're called to do on a base level, then we'll have believers in the core places of influence just by, just by naturally serving. We don't have to pursue it. It'll just happen. They'll put us in it. King Darius didn't sit, Daniel didn't go, oh, 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 pick me. He's like, I need somebody that is trustworthy and not corrupt or negligent. The only one is Daniel. I pick you. King Darius was still corrupt and negligent. He was a jerk. But Daniel wasn't. And the jerk chose the guy he could trust. And I'm telling you, all of a sudden, we're going to begin. If we'll just be basic, there's more opportunity for a person who desperately loves God and invites him into any area of his life than we've seen in the last 50 years. It looks dark, but I'm telling you, there's so much brightness out there if we'll just be who we're called to be. I'm telling you, it's the truth. It is the truth. And finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against the, man against the man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And this teases us up for looking at the, what you know of Daniel and the lion's den. And we'll get into that next week. But here we are. Here is where we see that the title of this message, the odd mutation of a good reputation. Because a good reputation should just be the standard. But as culture moves away, it becomes more and more odd of just being a person who can be trustworthy, a trust person who isn't negligent or corrupt. All of a sudden, that begins, just not doing that sets you apart as a good reputation. And all of a sudden, I'm telling you, everything will be, things begin to just shift and we need to embrace it. So how can we do this? How can we put these things that Daniel shows us into place? And we're wrapping up with this. The first off, we're called to serve them. That's what Daniel did. That's what Daniel did. That's what we're called to do. First Corinthians 9, 19, Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. I can have more influence and I can touch more lives. I'll serve everybody. I don't have to. I, I'm, I don't have to do that. I choose to do that. It reflects Jesus and what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter two. Jesus who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So just serve any place you find yourself, just serve. Serve there your family. Serve your home. Serve in your place of employment. Serve in whatever place you volunteer and connect. Serve. It makes the difference. And then this is the one that spooks us a little bit. Set an example for them. Set an example. And you're like, Pastor, he's still working on me. Uh, uh. I'm like that, that, that old lady. I, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. I don't know. I don't know. I, here, okay. Nobody's asking you to be perfect. Nobody's asking you to be perfect. Okay? Your heart will shine through. I'm just going to tell you that. Your heart will shine through. Let, set your eyes on Jesus. This is how we set an example. We set our eyes on Jesus. We keep pursuing him. We're not going to do it perfectly. I don't. You won't. And we're going to just pursue him. And as we keep our eyes on him, it's fine for them to look at us. If we're looking at him, they can look at us. We get our eyes off him, now it's iffy. But we keep our eyes on him, 
then they can look at us. And that's how we move forward in this. Matthew chapter five, verse 13 <clears throat> says, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except for to be thrown out and trampled by men. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And then 1 Peter 2, 12 reminds us of this. Live such good lives among the pagans that those that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, people are still going to run their mouths. Sorry. Sorry. People are still going to run their mouths. But though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify your God on the day he visits us. And then the third thing we do is share Jesus with them. Share Jesus with them. Daniel gave God the glory every chance he got. I'm not saying you got to preach to everybody all the time. I'm saying be sensitive when the Holy Spirit brings an opportunity for you to share the one you trust. That's it. Doesn't mean every day, doesn't mean every week, but at some point in this, there'll be an opportunity. 1 Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. It's not for you to be prepared to tear someone else's life down. It's be prepared with a reason for the hope you have. Because guess what? As it gets more bleak, the fact that you're hanging on to hope, that you, all of a sudden that's just gonna shine all the brighter. And they're gonna say, man, why, why do you have hope? And then you share. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously, still running their mouths, speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. When the, all of it weighs out, they'll see their own mouth running was false. First John 4, 19 reminds us of this. We love because he first loved us. Folks, our bottom line today is this, that a life of love is always noticed, even by those who don't like you. Life of love, it's always noticed. So as we step in here to live contrary to popular opinion. Do it in a space of love. Do it with love and it'll be noticed and it'll begin to have the impact and it'll make a difference. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.